it's because SEO is not loud and it just moves on slow and steady and there's nothing to scream about. It's just like money in the bank. But social media is shiny and there's likes and there's comments and so everybody gets distracted by these vanity metrics. Welcome to The Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, friends? Welcome to this episode of The Lensetter Show. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley, and I am joined today by a friend of mine I met through a dear mastermind that I'm a part of, uh, along with my business partner, McBilly, uh, Damon Burton. Damon, thank you for being on The Lensetter Show today. What's up, Preston? Hey, it's a pleasure to uh, jump on here and share with you and your audience and just see your beautiful <laughs> face. So to give context, guys, to to Damon, um, he is the the founder uh, of SEO National. They do a lot. I would I would consider them the authority in SEO. Um, I know Damon has uh, you know worked more so with McBilly, but even giving guidance to to us with our SEO. And so I think my my starting point for this conversation, you know, as our audience is primarily mortgage and sales professionals is let's demystify you know seo i know this means different things to different people depending on kind of how they they enter this arena and you've been doing this for quite some time at a at a rather large scale um so i'd be curious how you would specify and define seo to the audience well we could probably answer that two ways both of uh, both of which ways we can do pretty simplistically so one would be you know what is seo period um so it stands for search engine optimization the goal is to show up higher on search engines without paying for ads while still focusing on words you can monetize. So that's how I would define it. Now, what goes into it is probably the other half that people interpreted that question is you could also answer, answer simplistically is it's basically three things. And then, you know, there's a lot deeper things within those, but the three things are uh, effectively how good or bad is your site mm. built? So does it load quickly? Is it mobile friendly? Uh, two is content. Do you clearly communicate your value propositions and why you're an authority in whichever industry you're in? And then three is external credibility. So do other websites talk about your brand or link to your website? Now, most of your visibility is going to come from the latter two, the content <laughs> credibility, but that will only work if you have a solid built website. So from there, we could go a million different directions, but that's how I, uh, I tend to generalize and simplify. You what said it something is. there that, that I, I think is an important question to ask how do you define a solid built website? So it's going to be um, the, the kind of those technical things. Of does it load quickly, uh -huh. right? So my rule of thumb is, is I aim for three seconds or less. Now that's not, what do I see within three seconds? Because a lot of people will, will misinterpret. Um, so here we'll, we'll give out the free first tool you can use. Um, so there's a really cool website called GT Metrics, M-E-T-R-I-X.com. If you go there, you type in your website, and what it'll do is it'll tell you how quickly your website loads and what is slowing and it down. You'll see two things on there. At the top, you'll see what says LCP. Uh, that basically means, what do I see before I scroll? Because you can go to a website, type it in, and you'll see something nearly instantaneously. But what you often overlook is everything below the fold, like where you have to scroll and further down the site. And so we want everything to load in three yeah. seconds or less, not just the little top frame. So a lot of people misunderstand that. Now, the reason why that's really important is basically you can just look at SEO and go, well, it's whoever makes Google look good. So what I mean by that is, Preston, I'm willing to bet that you do not like a slow loading mm -hmm. website, right? And I'm willing to bet that everybody listening will exit and abandon a website if it sure. takes too long. So, so Google basically says, let's pretend I am an actual human and a user and what things do I enjoy and what things do I dislike? So a slow loading website will negatively affect your visibility on search engines. So that's one thing is the speed. And then there's um, the user experience. So is it mobile friendly? Does it load in a, an intuitive way, whether it's on your computer versus a desktop versus a tablet versus a phone? And way back um, as far as 2016, Google started prioritizing mobile friendly devices as a mobile friendly websites as a priority. Now they started working on that before that, but in 2016 was when it was very definitive and they came out and said, you can actually show up in different ways on our search engine, depending mm -hmm. on how good your mobile version of your site is versus your desktop version. 
So really, it's just the user experience. You know, is it easy to navigate? Does it load quickly? Can you see things without you know this messy side scrolling and too big or too small text? In, in your experience, you you'd you had brought something up there that just made me think of a question I hadn't thought of before. Um, in your experience doing SEO, have you seen it beneficial or just I guess deployed uh, where somebody will thematically have a different mobile website versus desktop like the actual visual is different it exists but not often and you don't want it to um so part of the algorithms is the consistency um, in the user experience so exactly that if i were to visit your website on my laptop versus my phone is it dramatically different because depending on like let's say you know i, I love website abc and i go there all the time and i'm usually on my phone and then, you know, I'm traveling and so I'm checking it out on the plane on, on my laptop and I go, holy crap, what is this? This is completely different. And so the engagement is yeah. different. Google will pay attention to how long you spend on a page, how many pages you click on, how you navigate around, which pages you exit on. So it'll pay attention to the consistency across that theming. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, you had mentioned a great tool before. Um, I'd like to get a little bit more specific because I think where you're going to have the most impact and the most meaningful dialogue is with uh, broker owners, larger broker owners with, you know, I I'm friends with some wholesale lenders that I could imagine would find your knowledge really valuable uh, and just banks in general. Um, aside from just page speed, because that's obviously important, you know, I see a lot of these yeah. these financial yeah, we'll call them financial institution websites. I guess that's what they are. Uh, and they just seem bogged down with details and inundated with information. Um, how would you approach somebody like that if uh, imagining they're a client? Um, are you for that? Do you do you simplify? Uh, you know, kind of how is your approach to taking websites that already have just uh, and and I mean a ton of information. Like it almost feels like the it's like overflowing. You know. Yeah, you know, I see, it's a great question because I see the same problem across uh, financial institutions as I see across um, realty and MLS listing websites as I see across car dealerships. Like when you get into these types of um, ecosystems, uh, business verticals, everybody just kind of uses what the other yes. guy uses. And so you end up seeing these bloated, um, excessive websites with generally outdated code, um, poor user experiences. I mean, I, I think the majority of us, despite being in this industry, will probably agree that, you know, a lot of us hate our own websites in this industry. Um, and the, 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 the trick is because there's a balance of features that need to be accommodated and supported. Um, and, and so people just kind of tend to default to go, what gets the job done? And, and then they don't really look beyond that. And I don't know if it's because it's just kind of the industry moves a little bit slower or is less innovative. Um, but there's a huge opportunity for the mortgage lender, the financial institution that comes in and goes, okay, how do I marry these two worlds? And the way that I would envision you marry those two worlds is, is because by process of elimination, you're probably not going to go reinvent the wheel and come up with your own platform. So you're probably still going to use one of these platforms that we're talking about that's bloated. But here's how you balance it. You have a forward-facing website, so, so a traditional website that does not use these platforms that, that we talk about and you piggyback those platforms on the back end of it. So what that means is you could have a really elegant, quick loading, effective, good user experience, traditionally built website. And then when they click log in, then it goes to the other platform. And so that way you get the creative freedom and the marketing efficiencies of a traditional yeah. platform while supporting it with the features that you need of the financial institution. And there are ways that you can blend the design of systems. And so you could, depending on the limitations and the flexibility of whatever the, the financial, financial institution's platform is, you can probably reverse engineer, even with limitations, a design that looks seamless enough to match the pretty forward-facing website. Right. And so that's how you would balance the efficiencies. Of, you know, We haven't even talked about content, things like that, but that's how I would do it is build a you know, quote unquote, traditional website that gives you those freedoms and flexibilities and then, and then put on the back end, uh, the, what you need for that, you know, the transactions and all gotcha. that. So, so you're talking about essentially almost compartmentalizing and having the initial experience that a consumer would go through be, um, 
cleaner, simpler, and then giving them the 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 you know the links, the, the the ability to navigate to where they need to go, and then if that happens to be the platform in which you know a bank might need or a wholesale lender might need, it's kind of almost behind the wall of the initial website. Basically, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. That's a, that's a good strategy. Um, you know, when when you're when you're taking on new clients, um, let's talk. Let, let's kind of pivot a little bit. What are some of the what are some of kind of the SEO sins that you see a lot of people doing that? that you wish more people were aware of? So one that's fresh on my mind is uh, getting distracted by shiny objects. We don't get this often. Um, you know, we talked briefly before we hit record that uh, I'm fortunately in a position of doing this for so long that usually by the time somebody engages me, they kind of understand what they're walking into. But every once in a while we get a client that is excited. They're a little novice to marketing, but they found success in other ways. And so they come in they come in hot, right? They're like, I want to do everything. I want to do it all. I want to do some of that. I want to do some of that. And so we end up fighting for attention um, for conflicting strategies. So with with this example, um, the client had been with us for just a couple months. And within just a few months, our SEO had outpaced um, all their other forms of marketing. So paid ads was historically their bread yeah. and butter. Um, and then they also had email and social media. Not only did we outpace all three of those, SEO generated more than all three combined in, I think, like six months. And so we came in and clearly proved the the return on investment. You can see it in Google Analytics and all the data, where the traffic's coming from and which source it is. Yet, I I call them bro marketers, right? And so it's like the dudes that are super hypey and super flashy, and it's like, you know, try everything all the time, um, be louder, and... And it's, I think like it's just come with the the omnipresence of social media. Like social media has made people less familiar with delayed gratification and more obsessed with instant gratification. And it's just fascinating to me that people will come in and go, well, I will spend, uh, you know, a, a dollar on social media to get back one dollar and one cent. For sure. Or I could spend a dollar on SEO and get back two hundred and fifty-seven. But it's because it's because SEO is not loud, yeah. and it just moves on slow and steady. And there's nothing to scream about. It's just like money in the bank. But social media is shiny, and there's likes and there's comments, and so everybody gets distracted by these vanity metrics. And so, um, I guess to come back to your to your question is like. You know, find somebody that you can trust, find somebody that has a strategy that can actually communicate what the strategy is and not be vague about it. And then hire a professional, not just in SEO and all things, hire a professional you trust and then get out of the way. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, you know, we've we've seen doing what, what we do primarily on the lead generation size. And then we also do, you know, some brand, we create brand assets like organic marketing type uh, uh, things for our, for our clients. Um, and we see people that have talked about SEO. Some have, you know, good experiences. Most, I would say, have bad experiences. And 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 I almost I want to caution the people that are listening from mishearing that um, they have a perceived bad uh, experience. But I also think there's and and you could probably speak to this more than I could. But it seems to me that there's a, a high potential for bad expectations more than anything. Um, and so you know, in your experience. What do you feel is a healthy kind of time to notice improvement? I feel like with us, it took, you know, six months sounds to be the beginning point for us until there was noticeable lift. Um, and, and it actually, we had a, a, like we had two or three kind of like cliffs where it went up and up. Um, but I'd be curious about from your pr- perspective, when somebody engages with an SEO firm, what, what's realistically, how long should they just be patient and go, I'm going to let it do its thing? There's a lot of truth to the the generalized answer of a year. Um, the The problem with most other SEOs and, and why there's a bad reputation for a lot of people is because they don't communicate why a year. And there are a lot of bad apples in SEOs or in sure. as in any industry. But the difference why it probably stings a little more in SEO is because SEO good SEO isn't cheap, and so the bad guys take advantage of that. Good SEO isn't fast, and so the bad guys take advantage of that. 
So what happens is people have this expectation that they go, oh, it takes a year, but they don't know why. And because they don't know why, the bad guys can come in and then they can invoice the client for a year before the client starts to go, hey, wait a second, are we getting anywhere? And then by then they've already made enough money that they don't care. So the what you want to look for is you want to look for an agency that communicates transparently. They should be able to give you, I mean, you don't have to know all the details unless you really want to, but they should be able to give you specific expectations of how long is it going to take before they understand who your audience is and digging into the the avatar that they're going to build and how long it's going to take to start to produce content and what type of content and what are you going to talk about and why are you going to talk about those things. Now, the best way to answer timelines is it's really important for you to understand progress versus monetization. You're probably not going to monetize uh, things for a year. You will see progress in just a couple months. Now, the difference between the two is nobody goes past page one of Google, right? We search a thing, we find the first couple results, we click on it, we're done. So nobody's scrolling far enough to see the results that are back pages two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that's where the progress is because when you start a campaign, what your SEO company should do is they should dig into your market, they should dig into your competition, and they should dig into the buyer persona that you want to attract. And then they should go, okay, cool, here's the money for Preston. Here's where we know those people live. Here's the types of things that they search. So here's the types of content we're going to create to attract those very specific people. Now, once you figure out what those targets are, then they should run what I call a pre-SEO report. And what that is, is it goes, okay, your website, here's all the words we're going to target. Where does your website currently mm, position itself smart. on Google? Ah, uh, okay, you're back on page 10 on this one and eight on this one. Then each month they should run progress updates. So the keywords that were way back on page eight all of a sudden move up to page six, then the next month they move up to page five, and then three, you're making huge progress. You're gonna have zero dollars in sales or leads because nobody goes past page one. So you should have a realistic expectation of it does take time to put money in the bank, but you will see progress inching closer to towards that in a lot of sh uh, short well, I, time I, uh, You reminded me as you were talking about that, when, when McBilly and I started doing SEO for Good Vibe Squad, we, <laughs> I remember we, the, we, we were discussing it with the, the SEO guy we worked with and he's a great guy. Um, I, I really like him, but it was interesting to see, um, because we were, we started ranking number one for a new keyword, but I was like, oh my God, like the, like it's one thing to rank that sounds cool, like to rank for something, but what you rank for, I realized is actually way more important. Right. And, uh, Literally. The first thing we ended up ranking for where we were like, oh, we need to steer this ship a little bit better was why I stopped being a mortgage loan originator. I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to rank for that. Yeah. I'm okay not to rank for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a great point because you can't monetize yeah. that. Right. And, and so you should, you know, this is a good thing for the listeners to hear is when you engage in SEO, you should go data heavy first. Like there's tons of old, like what's the old Abe Lincoln quote or George Washington quote where it's like, if I had four hours mm. to cut down the tree, I'd spend three sharpening hours the sharpening yeah, yeah. the axe, right? It's like, it's like the same thing. So you got, you got 12 months to get a return on your investment in SEO. You should spend the first four to eight weeks sharpening the axe, just looking into data, just mapping <laughs> things out and going, where's the money? So I know once I lock this in, I don't have to pivot in six months because if I pivot in six months, I just threw away six months. So when you're starting uh, um, with a new client, I'm a, it sounds like from what you're saying, it, you guys have kind of an intake process probably where there's there's a strategizing on who are we really like an avatar type thing? Who are we trying to get in front of? What are we trying to get in front of them with? Um, I'd imagine you would have to know that uh, if you're trying to do this strategically at the beginning. Yeah. So we start with um, an intake process and an onboarding call. And so on the onboarding call, we have questions that we've kind of designed over the years that help us better extract the information from the client. Because, you know, the client may, you know, you may think you know the avatar and, and you probably have some of the characteristics correct, but there's a like a great example to, to illustrate the gap in understanding, um, you know, think about emotions versus data. You need to remove your emotions from who you're trying to target and look at the data. And so like a great comparison would be social media versus SEO, because in social media, you're stereotyping a persona. 
they're generally men or women, they're generally in this age group, like some sort of characteristic. In SEO, you can throw nearly that all of that mm. out the window almost all the time. Because in SEO, it doesn't matter their age. It doesn't, well, you know, in some products and services, sure. But, you know, it doesn't generally matter if they're man or woman. What you're trying to figure out is what questions does that person yeah. ask, regardless of gender. And so you're looking at the data going, what are the pain points and what are the problems? And then to your point, when you look through this data, you may have some that come up and, you know, because where you rank for, you know, why I stopped being a mortgage lender, mortgage lender was part of that phrase. So it makes sense why that came, why that came up. But then you need to screen that data and scrub it and go, which of these targets implies buyer intent? And so ultimately what you're looking for is to find somebody that needs your service that is already on the buyer's journey or is already in a pain point and you can come in and solve that problem with content and show up on search engines. That makes sense. How, how, and I'm not necessarily looking at a time frame as much as I am like percentages, but like if it takes zero to 12 months to get progress, how long usually of the, how much more of the journey do you identify on average, and I understand averages are difficult because it probably varies from case to case, but, um, you know, after progress to monetization, like, are we kind of doubling the time frame? Is that like, when, it, when is, when are people starting to go, holy shit, it's paying off? So it's, it's generally around 12 months. Um, and, and you're right, it'll vary. So I can walk you through averages, right? So what will influence the return on investment is how good or bad is the site as it stands before we walk in? Is there something for us to work with? Is there nothing? Is it a new client or is it a new website? So now we need two months to, to build something to even mm -hmm. start from. Um, is it Frankenstein? Is it better that we tear it down? Can we salvage it? And so those things will influence it from the structural position because we can't start adding content, doing all these other things until we have the foundation built. Then it's also going to matter um, what the market is and who the competition is. So there's going to be different search volume caps from industry to industry. There's more or less demand in varying industries. And then it also varies on who's in the way. So like a really simple example would be like a retail client. So let's say you sell a, a magical widget, right? Uh, you know, that's a lot less search volume than real right. estate. And so there's less people in the way. But let's say, let's say the the even though the magical widget has um, less competition, let's say Walmart and Amazon sell it. Those are big people right. you're fighting against. So it doesn't depend just on the quantity, but also the quality of the, of, of the marketplace you're fighting against. So those are the variables. Now, depending on how those cards fall, then usually what I see is you're four to six weeks in before we go, okay, we know, we know where Preston's money is. We know who the avatar is. We know what the content play is. Um, then you start producing content. So it's just this giant content machine. Um, in the ongoing uh, in the ongoing fulfillment of SEO, it's generally some sort of content. So you start producing content, then it's just the logistics behind how much time does it take to research, create, publish, and distribute content. And your rewards are going to come from the accrual of that content. So it's not just one piece of content, it's one turns into two, two to four, four to eight. So there's that timeline. What I usually see is within three to six months, we can go, look, you got a chunk of targets on the radar. Now you're moving. Now you're moving forward. Now we can start to monitor that progress. Somewhere between nine to 12 months is when you start to get some of them on page one and you can start to uh -huh. monetize them. So one of the first things I say is like, if you're going to consider SEO, one of the most important things is to have realistic expectations. Because if you come into it and you're like, hey, I might be the lucky one that shows up sooner in three to six months, it's going to be a sad day when three to six months rolls around. And then it just it, it just sets the the it just sets unrealistic expectations for the life of the account and then everything falls apart. So you really don't want to consider SEO unless you have the patience and the cash flow to invest in it for that I long. Now, that being said, I will often see a keyword breakout. I would say probably 50% of the time there's, let's say for easy numbers, you're targeting 20 phrases that you think you can monetize. I'd say 50% of the time I see one or two or three just have a home run. And within the first three months, they're on wow. page one. What would, what would be so, the differentiator that would lead to that kind of, uh, you know, such a, so, so much of a faster success? A historical business or entity with 
some sort of baseline of content. A lot of time where we see the fastest home runs is if the brand's been around for a while, they got a decent amount of content that they've genuinely put an effort in and didn't take the shortcut. Um, but like we said at the beginning, your con your visibility will mostly come from content credibility, but it will only be as effective as the, as the website is solid. So a lot of times we can come in and go, look, they got to like one of our brand new clients is a perfect example. They have, I think it was 1400 pages of content over 10 years, but the structure is a nightmare. And, and so we can come in and more than likely they'll have a return on their investment within 60 days because they have so much for us to work with. And we come in, we fix the page speed, we fix the user experience, we fix the mobile friendliness, update a couple of technical things that I'm not going to bore everybody with, and instantaneously just amplifies those 1,400 pages. That's interesting. Um, I, I had a question earlier that I wanted to ask. Have you read the book, um, They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan? Yeah. Uh, um, essentially, we, we went through this. Uh, this is... I like to think you'd enjoy it, um, but you, you know, you might be like, "This is this is hogwash," you know, <laughs> since you know so much more about SEO than I do. But uh, but it was an interesting. It wasn't so much SEO as much as it was like content. I mean, I'm sure to an extent there's an SEO component to it, but the the gist of they ask you answer is to have a website oh. that is so essentially informative, right? Um, it, it's uh -huh. kind of the antithesis to where most people are like, don't put pricing on your website. You know, it's like the, this, at least in the agency world. Right. And, uh, um, it was more of this, no, 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 you should have, you should have so much good information to answer all the questions that they have and make it as easy for them to get that information as possible. And it was, I, I guess for me, it was kind of a different way of looking at content because, you know, coming from the direct response side of things you know there's the the ad there's the creative that gets to the headline that gets to the to the copy which gets to the page and there's like this marathon of sprints if you will and uh and so you're not always providing um the the desired information on the front end right there's you try to get them into a funnel and so it was a different i guess for me it was a different approach to thinking about content thinking about how like getting in the mind of a consumer and giving them what they want um, and so I don't know, I, I, I felt like you might enjoy that book. Um, uh, cause it feels like it complements a lot of what you're talking about right now. Uh, oh, I totally agree. Yeah. So, um, I, I can give a reply from the SEO side and then also social media side. Um, so let's, let's talk about what is the biggest search engine there is, right? Google. What is it? Why does it, why is it so effective? Cause it just gives you the right. answer. Okay, what is the biggest video YouTube. platform in the world? YouTube. Why? Because it just gives Bam. you the answer. What is the biggest knowledge-based website in the world? Yeah. Wikipedia. It just gives you the answer. So from an SEO perspective, the the sites that that position themselves well, like we talked earlier, are the ones that make Google look good. And Google wants to give people the answers. Now, from a social media perspective, it's how I built my agency. So I built it into a multi-million dollar agency and I've never spent a dollar on ads because I give away everything. When I'm on, if you go follow me on social media and you ask me an SEO question, I will tell you the answer. And the reason why, like I wrote a book and in the book, I give away the entire blueprint for my agency. It, because in my mind, there's only three types of content consumers. And so the the first one is the person that takes your advice and runs. Okay, well, they were never your client anyway but you just helped somebody. So now you increased your reputation and your reach. The, the second type of content consumer is the person that may not need your services now, but they do later or they know somebody that will later. Okay, great. Well, now you just increased your lead pipeline. And the third type of content consumer is the person that did yeah. your thing. So I see no reason not to give away everything for free. There was a lesson I, I actually learned when I wrote a book as well. Um, you know, I thought that you know, I come coming from the marketing angle. I'm like, okay, so this will get us more leads and we'll get, you know, more interest. And that, that, that's a component of it. So I'm not trying to act like it doesn't happen. But, uh, what I realized was, you, you know, kind of, you had kind of, uh, expanded on it to three buckets, but I noticed that there were two main categories. There were people that couldn't afford to work with me. And that was the actual value I was able to give to them so that they could do something. And, and I felt like there was a reputational enhancement that happened, even though I didn't make the transaction wow. there. 
there's referrals, there's, you know, just, just, you get the reviews, you get the, there's just good vibes about that. And then the other thing was, I noticed that a lot of the people who were my ideal client and, and they wanted to hire me, they got the book and they would scan through it to make sure the pages were full. And then they're like, okay, cool. You must actually know what he's talking about. Yeah. And, uh, it was an interesting, to, to me, that was kind of an interesting learning curve, uh, just to start to go, okay, well, I'm actually okay to help the people for free or for the cost of a book because whatever, I mean, it's, it's impact, right? It's like, that's, that was the goal all along. It's like, yeah, I want to get paid, but you end up, that's kind of a, I learned that's a lag metric. You know, you're, you're going to get paid. Like you got to do the thing first, you know? And so that was interesting. It's like the delayed gratification we talked about, right? So there are ways to make money faster but are they sustainable? Mm. So if you're willing to have the patience to build up that reputation, I'm a living testament that I don't have to fight for leads whatsoever. And because I put it out there and I give away all the answers, people trust me. They build a relationship with you. Subconsciously, they go, Preston knows what he's talking about. So that by the time they reach out to Preston, it's not, you know, it breaks down all the sales walls. It's no longer, how does this work? And this question, that question, and do I got to give you my firstborn? And you know, can I call you at midnight? It's just like, how does this, yeah. how do we proceed? The end. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great position to be. Um, you know, that actually leads me to a question I was thinking earlier. Um, how did you end up landing the Utah Jazz as a client? By giving away everything for free. Um, so I ended up getting three clients in one week um, from this exchange. So what had happened was there was somebody on LinkedIn. I can't remember if I made a post or somebody tagged me or what, but there's some sort of engagement on LinkedIn. And um, the the so I'm in Utah. The majority of my clients are not in Utah. Um, th- this guy happened to be. And he happened to be like 20 minutes from where I'm at. And I don't remember what the question was, but he had a question. I looked at their website. I solved their problem, gave him the answer. And I don't ask for anything in return, right? It's just like, if you're going to, you're either in or you're out, right? And I'm not going to fight you for it. So here's the answer. And if I hear from you, great but I'm not going to chase you. And so the guy ended up following up and going, okay, cool. You know, what would it look like to work with you? Oh, by the way, we're 20 minutes away. So I said, cool, I'll pull some information, audited their website, all the stuff we talked about, how quickly does it load? Is it mobile friendly? What's your content strategy? Do you have external credibility? And I, and I brought him to the meeting and I went, here's what you're looking at. Here's the pros of your website. Here's the cons. Here's how it looks like to work with me. The end. Didn't chase them, nothing. So what ended up happening was and I get this all the time that he followed up a couple of days later and he says, you know what was so cool about you coming in and, and breaking things down as he goes, not only did you tell us why we should work with you, you told us why we should not work with you. And you told me all the things that suck about SEO and that it takes time and not to, not to waste yeah. our time, not to waste your time. And so because of that transparency, he says, we're in and I introduced you to my neighbor. And so his neighbor reaches out and he goes, um, hey, I just, I'm moving to Vegas. Um, I'm helping this law firm. Um, can, can you tell us what it's like to look at this law firm? Did the same thing, broke it down. Here's your ups and downs of your website. Here's what it's like to work with you. Cool. That was amazing. By the way, the reason why I'm moving to Vegas to work with these guys is because I'm exiting the Utah Jazz. My last position is to fill the marketing roles. Can you do the same thing for the Utah that's Jazz? Sick. So from one LinkedIn engagement, I did the same thing and got oh, three Oh, that's clients. legit, man. That's and, and how long have you been working with them up to this point? So the Utah Jazz, we don't work with anymore. Um, the That dynamic is interesting as far as how, you know, what's interesting about um, professional sports teams is they call it a franchise for a reason. Um and, and what's fascinating, because usually one of the next questions I get about working with professional sports teams is, you know, don't, doesn't the jazz already own the, the rights to their products and like, who are they fighting against? They're fighting against every other sports team there is. So these franchises, um, so the retail division is the Utah Jazz team store. And there used to be, um, the, the sports fans might remember there used to be a store called Fans, F-A-N-Z-Z. Um, and that was one of the main retail outlets. But like the the NBA owns the team rights. 
not necessarily the Jets. And that's why it's a franchise. It's just like franchises, like McDonald's is a franchise. And so these other teams and these other outlets that the NBA grants licensing rights to can also sell anything. So these individual sports teams are fighting against other sports teams and other retail outlets for their own sports team. I mean, that's kind of cannibalistic. Um, have you have you noticed a significant, like is there is there a big difference in how you would help a, a, you know, an entity like that compared to your average service-based business? There's a little, the, the general fulfillment model is largely the same. It just depends on how aggressive you need to be. So do you need more gotcha. of the content? Do you need more of the credibility? There are some variations in between. Um, all, the majority of them are technical, so I don't want to bore the audience, but there are some little things in how you modify the that site differently. Um, you know, in the lending world, you talked about, you know, questions and FAQs and things like that. There are technical ways that you can tell search. So when a search engine comes to a website, it, it hits the homepage, scans the content and goes, okay, are there links? And they go, oh, here's links in the menu. Hit that link, repeat, scan the content, find more links, repeat, repeat, repeat. As it scans the content, it makes a lot of educated guesses and assumptions. I think Preston offers this service and I think this is his business name. And I, I, I think that this is the, their contact information, but there's technical ways that you can present that information and you say, no, 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 Google, I am telling you definitively, this is my name, this is my service. Um, so there are different ways you can amplify the content depending on what content is available to work It's with. interesting. Um, okay. Well, I, I want to I change gears here for a minute. So you and I met in Russell Brunson's inner circle, right? And uh, which has been a, a phenomenal experience. Um, I wanted to ask what uh, what prompted you to initially join a community like that? Oh, dude, you haven't, haven't. heard the story? Oh, man. So, you know, um, I don't know if you can see it in my frame. You know the inner oh, yeah, circle yeah, yeah. book? Uh, you can't see. Um, I was, my journey was why that okay. book was written. And so what happened was um, there's a friend of mine, Here Josh Forty. Um, Josh, if, if you're not familiar with the, the world that Preston's talking about, um, it's a marketing world. Um, there's a big annual event that's actually coming up a week from within us recording this, and it's called Funnel Hacking Live. And Josh Forty is, uh, I, I jokingly refer to him as a mini celebrity in the world of, of Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels. And um, he was going again, and I said, hey, I'm going to go. Can I tag along? I've never been. And he was kind enough to let me just kind of jump around That's with awesome. him. And I met a handful of people. And what the reason why I went is because I, I've never been in a rush to grow my business at the expense of my sanity. And over the years, I, I call it dating the phases. And so it's like, in the beginning, when you're first an entrepreneur, you go, for, this was my evolution. In the beginning, it was, hey, it's cool just to be self-employed. And so I would date that phase where it's like, what can I learn from this? What do I like? What do I not like? And then when you date in like the real world, you take from the relationship and go, okay, how do I apply it in the next relationship? So the next relationship is better. And so I basically did that to my evolution of my agency. And it was like, okay, what do I like about being a solopreneur? What do I not like? And then as I grow, okay, now I got team members. What can I learn from this? And I never accelerated the growth to burn it down. And over those years, as I mentioned earlier, I've never done any advertising. And so I got to a point where it's like, okay, there's nothing really in the way anymore. I don't have any insecurities about growing at a rapid scale. So let's accelerate that learning curve and come back around to something like Funnel Hacking Live. So let's go to a place where people are already doing the things that I'm trying to dip my toes in. So I'm walking around with Josh and um, then he, uh, I, could, I went everywhere he could go except past this invisible early yeah, access yeah, yeah. line. And early access, all it does is it allows you to get in 10 minutes earlier and pick a seat sooner and maybe get a bagel. Yeah. Like that's it, right? And I was so <laughs> pissed off that I'm like, but he's, he's, he's right there. I can see him. And so I went up to the person at the little sash and I said, hey, I don't want anything for free. Like, can I pay to get over there? And in my mind, I'm like, I will pay one 
thousand dollars for a blue bracelet yeah. instead of a red one. And so they're like, oh, I think so. Go talk to customer service. And I go talk to customer service and they're like, no, you can't go back there. Like that's, that's just for people that have won an award or in our coaching programs. Oh, okay. What's the coaching program? I don't know. I didn't expect anybody to ask. Hey, call Robbie. I don't know who All Robbie right. was. And so the audience won't know who Robbie is either. He's the sales guy for this community. Super hypey, super loud, super likable. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. It's like almost 10 minutes goes by and I'm ready to walk. And then all of a sudden, Robbie comes in and he taps me on He's like, what's up, what's up, what's up? And I and I tell him the story. I'm like, my friend's over there and I just want to go over there and I don't want anything for free. And he goes, yeah, you're not going over there. I was like, okay. And then he says, it's either for award winners coaching or coaching members. So he says the same thing. And he says, are you interested in coaching? I said, honestly, no. And he goes, what about a mastermind? And I said, maybe. And he goes, all right, here's the deal. You got to make at least a million bucks a year. It's $50,000, blah, blah, blah. So in my mind, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened? I just I just went from $1,000 to $50,000. And, but my decision was surprisingly short. I would say less than 20 seconds. Because what my brain started, what I started thinking in my head was, well, this is why I'm here, right? Is to accelerate the learning curve. This is what I'm looking for, some sort of opportunity. So I chatted with him a little bit more. And, and you know, Robbie B and Robbie's like, I don't need your money now. Like, you know, you don't have to do this, but we got a lunch. I'll save you, I'll save you a spot. We got this lunch in like 90 minutes if you want to go. And so I was like, I'm in, whatever, I'm in. So I, I committed, uh, went to the lunch. <laughs> so, so now when you see like Justin Benton affectionately refers to it as the $50,000 yeah, bracelet. That's so funny. And so I, I went back to my, I went, my wife and kids I bring to these events. So I went back to the, the hotel room wearing a new hoodie that said inner circle, like, babe, guess how much this hoodie cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mick, Mick B and I always joke about that. Whenever we pull it out, we go, Oh, there's, there's the most expensive piece of clothing we have. <laughs> yeah. That's uh -huh. great, man. Um, what, what do you feel are some of your main, like the, the biggest takeaways you've gotten from being a part of that community? Uh, um, you know, with the, with the inner circle? Uh, two things probably come to mind. One is, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I, I have <clears throat> been fortunate enough to not necessarily be insecure about like, like a lot of times we fight against like what our potential is and you can call it imposter syndrome or whatever. Um, you know, I, I have my moments, but generally speaking, I, I wasn't reserved about that. But you get into a group like this and like, you just don't know what you don't know. And you see these people having like million dollar days and you're like, damn, like I need to change my goals here because, and they make it look so seamless. And and so it's really changed my perspective on, you know, how big I think. And then the other thing is I've implemented surprisingly little tactical stuff because of what I said earlier. I, I don't want to grow things at the expense of my sanity. So it's not that I don't have them road mapped out and in queue um but they've kind of been deferred for the main reason which is probably the biggest takeaway i've had is just get out of my own way faster and so i had been looking for a coo um i yeah. had coincidentally found him like a month before funnel hacking live and so bringing him on while also being exposed to this kind of stuff um accelerated that like getting out of my own way, which is then not lessen my time. It's just given me the freedom to redirect it in ways that I more prefer to work in within the agency, uh, which then supports me getting closer to then implementing the tactical you, stuff. You had made a post recently, I feel within like the last month or so about it's, it, it was like a, it was kind of a, a post of triumph or that's how I would define it where um, I think you were saying that you're, your COO actually got you out of um, a certain part of your business and kind of freed up your time. Um, meetings. I told meetings. him I wanted out of meetings. That's huge. Uh -huh. That's yeah. legit, man. I'm happy yeah. for you. Yeah. Thanks. It, um, it, uh, so the part of my business I still enjoy is relationships and, and this, you know, talking and engaging with other people. And so it was really hard because um, if you follow anything I post online, I'm, I'm a huge family person and I'm a huge loyalty person with my team. And I put my team's loyalty against anybody. Um, I've been asked to be godfather twice. 
I've been invited to weddings overseas, just like crazy stories. That's cool. And um, so it was it was really difficult, but you know I got sixty team members across five departments, and it just logistically became a strain to where, despite me enjoying it, it made yeah. it not fun. Uh, feeling obligated to be at all the things, and, and so it was either one or the other. It was either all the things or none of the things. And so I, um, and that's the other great thing about my COO is that not only is he the protector of the agency, he's protector of Damon as an individual. Like he's really stepped up to go, how do I protect Damon's time as a person? Um, and, and it's, it's just done nothing but support a win-win uh, ecosystem. How long do you feel it's been? Uh, cause it sounds like you, you got your COO about a year ago. He's been with me for two and a half years, um, but the first year he was doing, so for the first six months he was doing um, just uh, overflow. And then he started, he did awesome, and so he started doing project management. And so as a COO, it's probably been about so a year it sounds, well, I mean, it sounds, that's actually probably a great way to get a COO is that he kind of had to learn from, you know, the agency itself and, and then kind of ascend into that. Um, I guess my question is, so it sounds like it's been about a year, a little over a year from him be- becoming COO to freeing you from meetings. I think that's that's phenomenal, yeah. man. I mean, that's time well spent to be able to free yourself in that capacity. Well, uh, I had been needing that role filled for a while, but I didn't want to screw it up. And so I was willing to hold on um, and juggle more than I wanted to, to do it right. Uh, I think you can kind of catch on to the theme is uh, I'm all in on doing things right and delayed gratification more than, you know, the, the quick yeah, solution. That's awesome. Um, th- that's, that's really cool, man. I'm proud of you. I'm excited to, to, to see what that frees you up to do. Um, you know, before we close out, Damon, I, I, I want to ask a question. I always ask this of my guests, what do you feel is a book that you've read in the last, you know, I don't know, year two years that you felt was really transformative for you? Well, I could give you two books, but they have not been in the last year and a half, two years, okay. but like ten. I'm years. Down so with do it. you want the do, do you do you want do you want the impactful book, or or I could give you a book that's impact been over impactful recency. in the last year, year and a half. Okay, impact over recency. So I'll go with, I'll go with two then. The reason why I say these two is because they're within uh, 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 the same time frame. Um, so one was uh, right. Edith revisited, and the other was Four Hour Workweek. Now, the reason why I always mention these together is because um, what I realized in reading them back to back. So when I was listening to four hour work week, you know, four hour work week basically tells you like how to uh-huh. compress time. E-Myth Revisited tells you the importance of building a business that's dependent on processes instead of people. So as people come and go, you don't lose that skill set. What I realized was Read them both, but read Emith first, because you don't want to cut corners and compress time until you know what it's at the expense of. So both of those are super right. powerful books, um, but I think together in the order of Emith first um, creates a unique opportunity for you to to learn more. That's interesting. I, I've read the Emith uh, years ago. Um, I have not read the Four Hour Work Week. Surprisingly, um, I assumed it was mostly. You know, proverbial in a way. Like uh, it seemed, it seemed like uh, it's like going 10x. You know, it's like okay, okay. You know, but uh, um, I could see where having e myth first and then going into that would be like a magnification of the value. Yeah, you're right. If don't go into reading four hour work week expecting literal steps to integrate, um, because the, the way that I took the, you're probably pretty accurate. Like I didn't take away anything literal from the book. Uh, I didn't, cause he talks about these amazing things where he's like, uh, I decided, I can't remember in which form of martial arts it is, but he's like, I want to go be an, it was like an Olympic or a world champion um, fighter in whatever form of martial arts. And so he did it in a very short amount of time with no martial arts hit, historical experience whatsoever because what he did is he read the rule book and figure out a loophole how you can get an opponent disqualified so he just disqualified everybody 
That's amazing. He doesn't win, yeah. you lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like the the what I took it the the one main thing that I remember at least remember taking away from it was was why don't I have more team members? Like what am I yeah. waiting on? Like why do I not document and delegate more of this stuff? And so it I think you're right. Go you can probably take away things more metaphorically from it. Um, but it just I mean it's the same thing we talked about inner circle, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And so like I'm not going to go do the exact things that I've that some of the people talk about that they do in their business, but it made me go, holy crap! I can interpret that my way and apply it to what I do. So it's the same thing that I took away from Four Hour Work Week was, you know, I'm not going to go learn martial arts for world champion disqualification, but it made me realize, oh, there are loopholes that you can leverage. Yeah. What? A, what? A, I did not know that about Tim Ferriss. What a what an oddly gangster thing to do. There's a bunch of them. The whole book is that. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. That actually that actually makes me super intrigued to read it now. So that that's awesome. Well, Damon, um, thank you so much for joining us on the Lens Setter Show today. It's it's been I've just personally enjoyed connecting with you again. It's been a minute. Uh, I think Mexico was the last time. And um, you know, yeah. it's it's just good to connect with you. So um, for, for those of, uh, the, you know, the, the broker owners, the, the wholesale lenders, the banks that, that follow me, um, that may want to talk to you, what is your preferred way for them to reach out? Uh, you can just, uh, contact us on seonational.com. You can fill out the form, um, or you can actually just message me on LinkedIn. Yeah, ask Facebook. him a question. He responds. So that's pretty cool. So. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> hey, by the way, before we had, I, I did want to say I didn't recognize it through like your posts and stuff on Facebook, but I like how your beard is the U on your last name. That's that's good. The logo, yeah, and and the hair is must the be a. nice. Must be nice to have an A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, 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 you can that's just true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Damon, thanks again for joining us on the Lens Center Show. This has been really valuable, and I think that those that listen to this, um, it, you know, and are wanting to increase traffic to their side, there's there's definitely some some things they can take out of this. So I'm calling this one a win. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Good seeing you. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Awesome, man. Have fun at Fall Hacking Live.